Hello, and thank you for joining us here on the Quiet Connections podcast. I'm Hayley, and I want to welcome you to a fascinating conversation with Lara Hayward that will touch on aligning our careers with our values and who we are, championing our quieter qualities at work, celebrating motherhood as a high performance role, the natural world's ability to shape how we feel about ourselves, and the ripple effect of world-class athletes speaking out and prioritizing their mental health over other people's expectations. As an ex-lawyer involved in the NHS and Paralympic sport and now a career coach at Oxford University and a Blue Health coach, Lara is one of those people with a career that will make you think, wow, she must be super confident. So I am thrilled that Lara is sharing her behind the scenes story and her insights with us in this episode. You may have already met Lara if you attended one of her career workshops this summer. And if not, I'll be sharing a link to these at the end of the episode so that you don't miss out. But first, let's hear from Lara. Welcome to the Quiet Connections podcast, Lara. Thanks, Hayley. It's lovely to see you again. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to talk to you. Could you begin by just sharing a little bit about your story and how you can relate to feeling socially anxious and not good enough? Oh, I can indeed. Um, Where to start? I I know when I worked with you on the careers workshop, um, we sort of went right back, uh, I think, to the time when I was working as a lawyer. Um, And I think at that time, I very much had a sort of extrovert mask on and and a lot about being a lawyer certainly in litigation I think is about performing and some people do that very well but I think for me um, I realized over the course of my career I I probably did it well in inverted commas for for a while and then just was starting to feel absolutely exhausted by it and I knew it was because part of that work role um, wasn't really aligned with my values and who I was and I, I felt like I was having to be much more kind of loud in that the broadest sense than than sort of what I'd ordinarily be yeah but I suppose if I think about you know being quiet you know it starts way way before that you know when I was younger I was very much one of those sort of dreamy kids I used to read all the time I was constantly outside sort of running around and just in my own little dream world and being very active and um artistic and and those kind of things and I was quite happy there um and then, yeah, I guess probably at school it changed because you kind of go through that whole thing about fitting in and sort of being someone you're not. And I think after, you know, and I can only reflect on this now, you know, you sort of, you look back and um, I think after I left law and then sort of did a lot of work on realigning, I suppose, work with my values, but also, you know, what comes with that is looking at sort of who you are. And I realised that I I was actually a much quieter person and more introverted and I actually just really sort of value that now and, and kind of work with it rather than against it so it's been a, a long old ro- road to kind of get realigned but um yeah it, it's really good and, and kind of feeling much more like myself so I can just embrace that now yeah and tell us a little bit about the work that you were doing um the work that I was doing uh, as a lawyer as or a lawyer. more recently um yeah well I, I qualified into private practice um and ended up working in uh, the healthcare team so a lot of my clients were 
NHS trusts. Um, and it was really interesting work um, intellectually, um, quite tough at times. We did a lot of inquests, a lot of public inquiries, judicial review, um, dealing with sort of really thorny medical law issues. So often, you know, really looking into the moral side of law, I guess, as, a, as opposed to sort of pure law and pure rules. You know, there's, I think in healthcare law, there's, there's a huge element of that. Um, and, but within that, you know, sort of quite a lot of adversarial work. We were in the high court a lot. Um, and although I wasn't doing that, you know, the, everyone thinks lawyers are the, the wig and gown people, they're, they're barristers and, and not what I was doing. I was a solicitor, so kind of sat behind them. But, you know, in terms of having to be on it for that kind of work, um, you really, really do. And there's kind of a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. And, you know, I think, you know, some of my friends or colleagues who, who do that work, I have the utmost respect for them. But I think I just found it yeah just for me I just felt like there's this constant pressure to perform and this constant sense of stress that if you know if you got something wrong um you know you could be struck off effectively you know and that and that, that happens rarely you know in the grand scheme of things yeah. but I think I just felt so much pressure to do the work well and right um which you know which is a good thing but I think balancing that with um the things I also need in life to, to keep myself kind of well and, and healthy I found quite tough yeah. um, and I was working at a good firm and, and you know with, with good people and didn't have sort of crazy city hours like a, a, I know a lot of lawyers do um, but yeah I think I, I only realized again afterwards when you're dealing with things like prison inquests um, and sort of going into the, the the details of that it can be yeah it can be quite tough and it can sort of um, I think I'm quite a sensitive person that sort of stuff stays with you and it's quite hard to switch off yeah. um yeah but from the healthcare stuff I moved um I then became in-house counsel at a health regulator and from there then I moved into sport and I worked as a lawyer at UK sport which is the, the sort of funding agency for Olympic and Paralympic sport um and that was a you know it was, it was a nice fit I think the background for my skills I worked with a really good team I still miss a lot of the people who I work with there um and a better fit for me but I think I knew then that if I wasn't going to kind of stay or want to be a, a sort of lawyer in sport then it was probably time to to kind of leave law and, and find something that was uh yeah that I found more pers purposeful I think that, yeah. that's probably what uh ultimately culminated <laughs> in me leaving yeah <laughs> okay um I'm going to ask you in a minute about what you're up to now but I just want to highlight the reason that I've asked you to sort of talk about your career history because mm -hmm. <laughs> I think you're one of those people that I would have been looking at going you know you're amazing you're successful you're confident you are totally like a total different breed to me <laughs> and um yeah I just want to highlight that actually you still had those kind of anxieties and self-doubt and everything under the surface and even people that we we see that who are successful and you were very successful um it doesn't take away that fear oh god no and it's and it's it's really strange like when people I mean I don't feel like I've been successful at all and I still you know massive imposter syndrome when I compare myself to anyone I get all of those thoughts and feelings like well what have I done you know what have I contributed to the world and and not in a woe is me sense just in that you know I think we live in a world where all of us are constantly comparing ourselves to to everyone on a global yeah. scale you know we didn't have to do that you know um sort of 20 30 years ago and it's just this sort of constant pressure 
Um, so yes, yeah, so thank you for sort of saying that, but I, I genuinely mean it when I've never felt that. And I think I've always felt like a fraud and always kind of, you know, don't <laughs> wonder what my skills are. Um, I know we've spoken about this before, you know, my, my current role, you know, building up to sort of speaking in public, you know, it's always a huge thing. I get massive nerves. Um, yeah, you know, I think when I was a lawyer, I can say this now because I've been out of it for long enough, you know, if I had to do certain types of public speaking, I'd probably try and, you know, do all sorts of things to get out of it. And then, you know, it, <laughs> and it just made me feel like I was back at school again. You know, it's, it's crazy when I look back now, um, you know, to all of that stuff. But I think, you know, I think that just shows me that there was something either not quite right about me being in that role and or something that I probably needed to to face and navigate and and yeah. sort of push through which which I think I have done but in a in a healthy way well rather than in a oh this is something wrong with me I need to sort it out kind of way it's yeah. um certainly the public speaking element it's more I've looked at it much more as okay well, well what am I happy you know talking in public about where do I have confidence and I think if you look at it in that way, you can find areas that you know that you can be a really passionate and really articulate speaker, for example. So, yeah, sort of flipping it on its head and, and working out how to use your skills to their advantage, I think. Absolutely. That has been my experience as well. I've been able to stand up in front of hundreds of people and, and talk about you know, social anxiety and mental health. Um but I couldn't interview a, a senior executive for a podcast about careers in my last job. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think yeah. it's very different. Your heart has to be connected. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about where your heart lies now. Where my heart lies now. Wow. Probably in too many areas. I think <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely in the sort of uh, well-being, personal development, coaching space. Um and I have the privilege of working with some amazing students at Oxford. Um, I also, and that's doing career coaching um, across all subject areas, but I specialize in creative industries and sustainability, um, which is so closely aligned, you know, to, to what I love. You know, if I think about it, sort of the natural environment, conservation and um, creativity, uh, you know, they are, they do form my values. All of the stuff I do outside of work has elements of that in it um yeah. so it's amazing to be able to work with people who who are looking for sort of support and guidance in those areas um I think you know branching out from that uh into the well-being space and I'm really interested sort of the intersect of work and well-being but also you know how do we perform well and what do we need to perform well and I think we're seeing a lot more of that happening in in sort of general conversations in in work in the sort of public sphere um in medicine uh, healthcare and and sort of I suppose individual responsibility for how we sort of look after ourselves and manage ourselves and and, and what we can do if there are um I suppose resource restrictions or limitations um so I'm really interested in that space and then connecting it all with purpose I think and that's the, that's the element that's often missing in a number of spheres so I I think I've always been one of those people that looks at everything really holistically and mm. you know really believes in sort of circular economy circular economy um, type structures and how you know there are certain things that can operate in certain spheres that you know and give something back as well it doesn't all need to be geared towards say just profit making or, or just this so I think all of the work that I'm doing at the moment probably falls into um those areas 
yeah. and yeah it's an exciting place to be and it's it's sort of constantly evolving as well um and just really nice to have that mix I think um which is something I didn't have in law you know it's very narrow tranches and obviously you're dealing with rules and regulations like that's what it is to be a lawyer and I think that, that's the one thing I've realized like I'm such a not rules person it's like <laughs> I, I very much like looking at what is possible rather than what people can't do so yeah I think that's another sort of values fit and and that's where I am now that's so nice (laughs) so a lot of people then have trouble seeing where their quieter more sensitive qualities actually fit in at work and they feel like it's a little bit of a disadvantage and I think sometimes the workplace almost gives you the message that it is a disadvantage and somehow you're not good enough so what advice would you give to to those people um I think I mean I found myself talking about sort of values quite a lot but I think um, if you have a sense, and this would probably be my advice, of, of getting really close to who you are, and if you if you kind of know you're quiet, but also know where you're quiet gives you strength and how it can benefit you, I think that there sort of comes a time where you just have to really back yourself in that and value it, because I think certainly in in sort of more corporate workplaces um, I've worked, although again, I think it's changing. I really do think it's changing. There's always been this sense that you have to be a certain way and, you know, we all need to develop our confidence and we need to do this and we need to do X, Y, Z. And I, I kind of just reject that now because people are just not the same, you know, and and, and I think cultures flourish when we're, we're able to be ourselves, you know, within reason and, and as long as it's kind of furthering the business aim. But to further a business aim, you need you need to really look after your people and people need, need to feel sort of supported, engaged, um, you know, like they really want to sort of, do the work that they do um so I think you know so it comes back to like knowing who you are really valuing what you can give and then not being afraid to kind of champion that in your own way at the workplace and that there's always going to be I mean I don't know just thinking of my sort of network friends family other connections you know and they all do different things but everyone will moan broadly about the same thing you know if they're in a team meeting particularly on zoom and that's obviously been sort of amplified over the pandemic there'll always be two or three people who've got the loudest voices who speak more than everyone else. And, and, you know, there's part of me that will say, sort of let them get on with that. But if you do have a really valid point to make, then also just try and make that. And if you only have that one point to make, just make it and make it well. And, you know, everyone else can rabbit on for hours and hours, but if there's something you really want to say, just try and say it because it probably will be hugely useful. And I, I don't see that as kind of working against your quiet or trying to push through it. I just see that as, as sort of trying to say the one thing that you think is really important to say. And, and you can sort of expand that out a little bit and, and also not be afraid of saying things like, so if you need more time to digest points and prefer getting packed back to people in email, then just make, make that clear and, and say, you know, I think I'm better if I can get back to you an email after having a few days to think about it. Is that going to give you enough time? And, and often, you know, invariably, unless you work in medicine, maybe, or in the forces or, or whether it's some kind of real urgency or immediacy, that is usually okay. So I think, and, yeah. and that's just sort of widening the conversation about, you know, different ways of working, different ways of communicating, highlighting that different people have different, different things that, that make work better for them but I think often and this is this can be the thing I think that quieter people 
struggle with a bit it, it's getting that across I know that was my own experience it's like okay well this is what I need how do I say that you know is it valid am I able to say it yeah. but I mean maybe I've just been lucky with the people I've worked with but the more I've sort of done that the more I've been able to do it and it's usually really well received um and I also think there's something in that if you don't if you don't know you don't try or if you don't ask then you won't know um and I think doing that bit by bit as well does build um your kind of capacity to be a quiet person in the workplace in the way that works for you and it allows other people to understand how how you you can be worked with as well and I think you know that's the thing to remember often people won't know because they're coming from a different way of of communicating with different reasons why so they won't necessarily be able to understand that so I think you know it's almost like quieter people owe it to themselves to to kind of say this is what I need um and if it's then not met or completely shouted down then that's a different conversation to to sort of be having or a different thing to think about but I, I think at least in the initial stages um yeah just try and say what you need with an ally or with somebody who you know um that can hear it that feels really helpful to me and I think that one of the things we often have trouble with is trusting in ourselves it feels rebellious and (laughs) um I think when we're a quieter kind of person we can have the tendency to go well there must be something wrong with me and therefore I'm not going to speak up I'm going to try and hide it and just try and catch up or you compare yourself to kind of your extroverted colleagues and think you should be keeping up with them or speaking up as much as they are um so we put kind of unnecessary pressures on ourselves as well and what you're talking about is creating a a level playing field for for everyone regardless of your communication style yeah yeah and I I think I I think from what I've seen you know just just teams that perform well and this is from sort of lots of different areas you know the ones that have a have a real understanding of each other's kind of nuances and unique skills and abilities and um try as far as is possible to work with them you know and and sort of engage people in those differences and and raise awareness of them and and that you know it's, it's basically raising relational awareness and that can only be a good thing in every facet of life as far as I'm concerned you know yeah. rather than sort of dictating <laughs> certain things or suggesting even you know, sort of corporate, I'm just a little bit of a rant on corporate wellness programs, you know, they've always been like one size fits all, which is, is kind of crazy. But when when I was working at UK Sport, for example, instead of a gym membership, it was a healthy lifestyle benefit. So if you were somebody who wanted to go to dance classes instead, then that was available. And, you know, and sort of little things like that, which, you know, financially, I presume they make little difference to an organisation, but they can make a huge difference to um, a group of employees who might have completely different ideas about what kind of um, movement or what what's healthy for them you know that would incorporate yoga or anything else as well so it's it's you know they're sort of tiny little tweaks um, but allow people to be more themselves at work and I think that allows people to be more themselves and then work work I think you know you become more productive more efficient more engaged um, from that so yeah I think it's hugely important Absolutely. I think that really values everybody's uniqueness and just shows you that you're worthy if you receive something like that. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that creates loyalty and trust and yeah. Um, but then then I think I'm very much an idealist. So that's something <laughs> you know I'd I'd like to see. And you know, I think there's often, you know, in the workplace, 
feel like we don't have enough time to do all of this because everyone's so busy delivering things operationally. But actually, if you put time into that, I think it can mm. really reap rewards. Um, yeah, long term. And yeah, I think there's, there's so much in valuing difference. And, and thank yeah. God, you know, we are seeing a world now that I think is becoming more open to that. And, and we're certainly seeing more diverse voices, I think, out there, you know, in in the media and in other spheres. I think, you know, it's got a long way to go, but I, I certainly feel like that is happening. Mm. Um, that is happening. And hopefully it has been, again, accelerated a little bit by the pandemic. I hope so. And I feel like this is a really important conversation because for most of us the emphasis is on the individual to kind of grow their confidence show up and be seen you know use their voice and there's not so much conversation around how we can change the environments around us to create that space for people to use their voice or provide the reassurance or stop sending the messages that we're not good enough to quieter and send a message that actually we value you yeah yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? I know we've sort of spoken before that, you know, certainly as I was growing up and sort of going sort of the early part of my career, it just felt like constantly, you know, as a quieter person, you're always getting told that you need to be more confident, you need to be more this, you need to be more that. But nobody was telling any of the, the louder people that they need to be quieter or perhaps take a bit more time to listen. And, you know, it's so frustrating because it's like one is not better than the other, you know, I just, and it's not binary either. You know, I, yeah. we've spoken about this before that I think we, we all seem like so intent maybe because of conditioning to put people into groups or boxes and it's just so much more subtle and or complex than that. You know, it's sort of, I know that I can be very sort of, for want of a better word, loud in certain arenas, you know, where I'm really passionate about something and really want to fight for it. Um, And other times I'm not, and I'm sure that applies to everyone, you know, and and people who are very sort of confident and great vocalists and and sort of great speakers, I'm sure there are times when, you know, or they need sort of quiet time to to sort of recharge. So it's kind of, it's it's valuing that and understanding that as well, and, and probably not just trying to categorize everyone or you know make everyone a data set which I feel like <laughs> that happens a lot too um yeah yeah so before we came on we were talking about um feeling the pressure to perform mm-hmm. can you talk to us a little bit about feeling the pressure to f- perform oh god yeah I get well I suppose for me personally and I noticed that it's a family trait as well. You know, I, I think I always feel that. And I, and I don't know why. I don't know where it comes from. I didn't have parents who were like, you know, you need to be this thing and you need to be, you know, I just, I, I didn't have that. So it's, it's, it's sort of been self, self-made pressure, I think, um, you know, and it's, and I'm not going to say that there are probably elements of that coming from society as well, but I'm not going to blame society Um entirely because because I know it's sort of self-directed and I think mine certainly was a form of perfectionism I think it's changing Mm. now I think my sister probably my dad suffer from the same thing that if it's if it's not going to be perfect then we just sort of get a bit paralyzed and and that's super limiting Um, I think that pressure is getting maybe it's sort of developing in two sort of parallel ways. You know, on the one hand, I think it's getting worse because we just, we live in a global society. We can see what everyone else is doing all the time, all over the world. You know, there's pictures and videos of 
of, of everything. So I think there is that kind of sense of everyone, even people who are sort of fairly immune to it or who can handle it really well, I know still suffer from that. Well, they're, they're, yeah. these people are doing that and that's where I should be because that's sort of the, the peer group that I recognise or, or the space I feel I'm in. So I think it comes from there. Um, and then, but then I hope also with that, because there are now sort of more high profile people kind of speaking out against it and, you know, sort of standing up for themselves in, you know, in sort of like the, in, t- in terms of wider public sphere. I'd also like to think that there's something sort of running counter to that, that that's trying to sort of balance it out. Um, yeah. But again, as I say, I'm, I am ever the optimist. So I kind of <laughs> tend to look at things in that way. Uh, but, you know, we, we were sort of talking about um, Simone Biles and Naomi Osaka and, and how they've spoken out recently and sort of if effectively prioritised their health against their sort of media obligations or, or the pressure of performing at, mm. like, the highest level. Um, and I think because I used to work in elite sport, I just see that as, as a huge thing. I think culturally that's massive. And I think they've both said, um, and I, I don't know if it was directly or not, but, you know, seeing other people start speaking out about this has enabled them to speak out about it um and and really just i think enabled us all to look at athletes or you know anyone who's performing at that sort of level and and in that you know under that huge sort of public gaze you know they're they're people too and they're no different from the rest of us um on on one level you know mm. i mean certainly couldn't do gymnastics like simone biles not not even close um so <laughs> and she's obviously streets ahead of you know the world in in that sphere but but fundamentally you know i think i mean it, it takes so much bravery i think when you're operating at that level to say actually no i'm not going to do that because i need to prioritize my mental health i think yeah. that's huge um and you know she's a young woman and, and you know that really helps lots of other young women or anyone who feels marginalized perhaps because they're going through mental health issues or, or anything else that innate, yeah. you know makes them feel like that so I think that that kind of thing can have a huge impact um yeah and it's, it's really sort of positive I think to see so yeah I agree and what feels really beautiful to me is that it kind of it bridges the gap and yes we feel more compassion for them but we also see the sameness between us yeah. and I think that yeah. this is probably the biggest problem in the world that we just yeah. see so much different between difference between us yeah. and other people at the minute yep yep hugely and I think I mean this is one of the things I get sort of really passionate about that we we and I know I do this but we you know have habits of putting certain people on pedestals and yeah. talking about them like they're sort of superhuman or completely different to to us um and then you just get some athletes who who completely sort of smash that and um I think Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka, Johnny, uh, Johnny Wilkinson is another one he's um I mean he's, he's written a lot about this but um there's a great podcast the high performance podcast which he's on and you know he spends a lot of time talking about anxiety how he didn't sleep you know and this is sort of one of the the best rugby players of all time who changed the game at the time and I mean I remember listening to that and again well I can't relate to his success as a rugby player you know at all but I could completely relate to those feelings of anxiety and you know insomnia and and the stuff that he had to deal with and it 
it was hugely helpful to hear somebody like that talking about it and go oh wow you know even, even when you're you know that good at something yeah that stuff doesn't go away it's it's there you know and 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 he talks about how he sort of um managed it and eventually came to deal with it I think you know he sort of meditation Buddhism all of these things and it was it was just fascinating and I think but but fascinating because I think you know we've created a world where we do like to to paint people as as perfect and and like nothing can touch them and then Mm. you know here's somebody who I admire as a sports person but I actually you admire him even more for talking the way he he's talked about his his mental health struggles I just think that's incredible um and it's entirely relatable and I think also you know we've spoken about and, I, and I'm really interested in this as a sort of question conversation um, about this sort of concept of high performance um it's certainly there in sport in the elite sports world I think working at Oxford University you know certainly lots of high performers there in the academic sphere um but what I think isn't talked about as much or what people forget is that um, I know the example we, we talked about earlier, you know, if you're a single parent who's managing a household and two or three kids and you're managing to keep that together and, you know, do all of that well, that to me is also, you know, that's really high performing because you, you don't have the resources that other people do in that yeah. sort of high performance world. You know, you're having to do it all on your own. Um, within your own capability and I I, you know I'm fascinated by that as well like that's not spoken about and people in that world you know would never think of themselves as as high performing but actually I think there's a real yeah there's a real interesting kind of stream of thinking about that and again I I say that because I think it just it's it's a thing about just look at can we not just look at all people as people and um you know there's lots of people doing incredibly well at life who we'll never hear about and and I'm often really interested in those people you know it's like what what, what have they got going on that we could you know that we could learn from yeah um, and I think often it's mindset you know and I sort of met people from lots of different backgrounds you know who haven't had any of those sort of resources or things available to them yet they're flourishing in life and I think that that's really interesting it's sort of let's talk to them <laughs> and find out what they're doing as well what do you think makes the difference I think mindset um, is the first thing that comes that comes to mind, um, and that's something that I've really struggled with. You know, I, I I feel like certainly when I've been in high periods of anxiety or I've had you know really tough things to deal with, you know, my mindset can completely flip and I can become very negative and, and just sort mm-hmm. of see all the bad stuff. When I know that in the grand scheme of things, um, you know, I've had a lot of privilege and supportive parents and you know, sort of financially okay and all of that stuff um so when I meet people and this actually happens sort of through my work at Oxford as well um you know who haven't who haven't had any of that and yet they've got themselves sort of to this incredibly sort of high place and they've done it all on their own I think it's sort of a lot of grit resilience and and ultimately mindset you know that sort of um ability to just turn things around and you know it's amazing it's it's so humbling when I meet people like that I love it it's like a real reminder um and I'd love to explore it more I think this conversation is showing me I just I really would love to explore that more where where that comes from and yeah are, are there parallels between you know sort of people who would put themselves in that bracket and and I'm sure there is lots of research out on there around it but yeah 
I'm always really, really sort of humbled and really grounded by it and just think oh, there's something, there's something in that, there's something in that. <laughs> yeah. I'm really intrigued about what that difference in the mindset might look like. Yeah. Where it comes from or just, is it, is it just your, your sort of the tools, whether you're aware of them or not, that, that you can use to turn things around in the moment, you know? So when, when things are really tough, you know, what do you do to kind of flip that and, and make it into into a sort of growth opportunity I think Mm. um but yeah lots to think about (laughs) absolutely I think one of the things that's coming up for me is the idea of completing the stress cycle Mm -hmm. physically there are things that we have to do in order to tell our bodies that it's okay and the stress has moved on because even if we can complete whatever was causing us the stress in the first place even if we deal with that we're left with that feeling of stress So that might be for some, it might be meditation or running or swimming or Mm -hmm. walking or, I don't know, so many different things, things that bring you joy. Um, So what's the kind of things that help you? Oh, oh God. So so this is something, I think completing the stress cycle, it it sounds very similar to, because I've had quite a lot of um, sort of somatic based therapy sessions so I and I think it's it's sort of similar to that so your your body has a physical response and and I started that um because I had a PTSD diagnosis after um quite a difficult event that that happened whilst I was traveling and I've I've always had a predisposition towards anxiety anyway and that that's how I feel it very much in my body um and then somatic therapy sort of works with you to, to kind of actually work with the feeling so it takes well takes you sort of out of your head which is where I spend far too much time and overanalyze everything and works with the feelings in your body and then yet you then kind of find ways of kind of working through that and sort of getting it out of your system as it were so it sounds very very similar Um, for me I think yeah definitely I say definitely movement of all kinds so so dancing is my all-time favorite thing to do I don't feel like I do enough of it but it's one of those things you know I'm, I'm a terrible dancer but when I'm doing it I don't even think about that I just love the feeling of it I can completely switch off from everything and you know as a self-conscious person that's really interesting to me what is it about dance where I don't care what I look like I don't care if I look silly the feeling is so good that yeah. who, who cares about that so definitely dance anything in the water um I absolutely love swimming and I love swimming because I like the way my body feels in the water. I mean, it, it, it's like this sort of multi-sensory experience. It's not, I don't even think of it like exercise. It's like, you know, just, just getting in for a five minute dip and getting out gives me as much kind of joy, pleasure, um, meditative space um, feeling as if I'm going for an actual kind of, you know, two or three K um, stomp. Um so yes, yeah, so definitely movement. I think singing um, and voice. Again, I'm a terrible singer. It's something that I would <laughs> love to be better at. Um, but there's something, there really is something. And again, there have been studies into this. So, And it's about sort of synchrony of movement and voice. So I think for people who have anxiety, PTSD, being part of a choir, um, 
actually is is a is a really good sort of treatment therapeutic space but it's it doesn't feel that way you know you're, yeah. you're sort of singing so and I think as far as I'm aware again I'm not a scientist so if anyone's listening listening to this who is um <laughs> apologies for any mistakes I make but that sort of connection with the the, the vagal nerve um hugely important in in any kind of um anxiety PTSD treatments and I think there's just so much release in using your voice which again is a really interesting thing thing to think about for for quieter people and that's means you go around shouting all the time but what are ways that you can use your voice just to activate that sort of system um and kind of let let that sort of emotion out or, or you know release the stress yeah um so yeah probably dancing anything to do with water yeah they're, they're probably the top three there there are many I I realized how much I yeah I just need to move I was having another conversation with a, um with a friend who um a, a guy who's ex-military and he was saying something very similar he said, I just want to move all the time but you can't do that unless you're an elite athlete it's like, I know how do we do how, how do we facilitate this um <laughs> so yeah I mean hugely important for me and, and I think that's actually become a tool now you know if I feel still have a tendency to to towards feeling stressed and overwhelm I think I've realized overwhelm is like my my nemesis yeah um and if I get there and and there's sort of you know, the, the way I regulate that is just actually put some music on and sort of just moving my body like a idiot around my kitchen. And, and that does, that does tend to help. It does tend to temper it. So yeah, they're, they're the things that I would definitely turn to, but there are, there are many. <laughs> there is so much joy in uh, just kitchen, kitchen dancing and yeah. singing at yeah. the top of your lungs. <laughs> yeah. Totally underrated. Those two things, totally underrated. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you think you can sing or dance, just move. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this is really interesting that you've brought it up actually, because when we're socially anxious, um, I mean, this isn't something that I used to do. I was very sort of closed and still. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course that's like how I was brought up to be quiet mm-hmm. and still and convenient basically. Yeah. Um, so it's actually really I think it's equally as scary and freeing to be moving like that I can remember like going to um going to discos when I was a kid and just standing there and like I couldn't move and people were going it's just easy just move your arms and getting frustrated with me but I just couldn't do it at the time yeah 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 and I, I completely understand that I think there's also something probably about British culture I know I I got a bit of a rude awakening, but it was brilliant. You know, when I was at, I think I'd just finished university and I was doing a temp job. Um, I can't even remember what it was. It's like some sort of translation exercise like down in the archives, but there were lots of other people um, who were working with me from various bits of the university. Um, one was Indian, one was Greek. And I can't remember where the other person was from, but anyway, in their cultures, they have this incredible sort of dancing culture. So any sort of, um, greek kind of celebration or wedding or even just a dinner people tend to dance afterwards and we we did a lot of things socially together and i just recognized how for that that was just completely normal you know and it's this thing isn't in you know i think people love dancing you know brits love dancing as well and not not that it's necessarily about sort of where you're from or yeah what your nationality or citizenship is but you know it's like we can only do it when we've had loads and loads of booze and um that again that's fascinating you know I think other cultures are just just better at doing it and certainly Latin cultures as well you know there's there's so much more vibrancy and 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 sort of linked to sort of movement in the arts I I feel anyway that's what I've seen when I've traveled 
Um, and I think it is here, but just there's this sort of like super serious air about it. it has to be done in a certain way. And, you know, it's just, I just feel like we need to get rid of that. That. <laughs> that would be so lovely yeah just, just hearing you talk about this this culture of dancing and that is, just kind of lights me up and I, I just really love the idea of that and it'd be wonderful if we could have that here I notice yeah. even in like you know five-year-old kids in my family there's not a lot of movement there and I'll be like dancing away in the car and she's just looking at me like what are you doing yeah. And she won't, yeah. won't join in. She's just too afraid to. So, oh, you know, already the, the movement is kind of getting shut down yeah. in our kids. So. Yeah. There's so much, isn't there? I think all of us, you know, it, it, all of this stuff, I think whatever our, our stuff is or our angst or our, you know, shadows or whatever, it starts so early and, yes. and we often don't know it's there until later. And then you're sort of having to navigate it and sort of work out why. Um, yeah yeah but it's just I just think yeah movement I just think is absolutely you know whatever works for you I'm not like sort of talking about it like yeah. it doesn't have to be a sport it doesn't have to be dance it doesn't have to be anything but just something whatever makes you feel alive I think is is the thing that you need to be doing more of you yes. know and that could that could be writing poetry it could be um making sand art it could be anything but if, if that makes you feel like you do more of that and then it impacts everything else for the better I have to say that it's you know not always comfortable work either um but it's like in the that discomfort that we really truly grow and um I mean I met you on that blue health coaching course you're also a blue health coach and um I, I don't think I've gotten through a coaching course yet where I'm not having some kind of like uncomfortable experience growing and crying through it <laughs> yeah 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 no I I agree completely I mean I know I remember from the blue health coaching course we sort of had to tell each other our life story and then you know stuff comes up there that you're like oh my god I haven't thought about that for a long time and it's still really deep yeah. and um I'm studying elite athlete well-being management at the moment um she's a it's a great course it's really really involved um it's run by an Australian organization and we had to do a similar thing so we were paired up and had to do a life story exercise and I was actually paired with a we're a professional player like he's just just retired um very different background to me and it it was also so it was difficult but also the most amazing thing because you spend and this this is this is sort of you know one of the benefits talk about sort of quieter qualities you spend an hour listening to somebody else's life story and their biggest achievements, their biggest regrets, the hardest things they've worked through. You learn so much about another person, but you've learned so much about yourself as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, both of those experiences, um, you know, recent experiences have really stuck with me. And yeah, you're right. It's not easy facing that stuff. It never is. But on the other side of it, I just think it enables you to build better relationships and you know in work in life you know uh, sort of romantic relationships whatever um you know and at the end of the day I think once once we get to the end of all of this that's the stuff that matters right so so yeah but yeah I think it's important to have support around if you're facing all of that kind of stuff (laughs) Um, yeah and you know that the the blue health coaching is fantastic because everyone was just so kind of warm and open and supportive so yeah 
I definitely need to get down to Cornwall to see you all soon. I look forward to that. (laughs) (laughs) So you mentioned um, significant achievements in your life. Tell us what your most significant achievement is in your mind. Oh, God. Or like, what's the biggest comfort zone stretch? Yeah. Okay. 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 So significant achievement. um, And it's quite a fun one. Um, I'm going to go with one fun and one not so fun, but significant, still a significant achievement, I think was coming third at, we did a charity Strictly Come Dancing competition in Oxford. Um, And that involved training. I think we were training for 12 weeks um, and we had to learn a Latin and a ballroom and then do a group, uh, group performance and, and then something else. And I think I'm going to say a significant achievement wasn't so much about coming third. It was more about coming back to myself because that's when, and um, that was in May, 2017. And I'd had the PTSD diagnosis in the January um, and was really, really struggling. And then I think that came along at the right time because it gave me purpose and it enabled, you know, I was, I was sort of working through it, doing something I loved Um with a group of people and the aim was to raise lots of money for charity and I think we raised about 25 grand so you know it's everything about that I think was just yeah it was just awesome so it was it wasn't really about the third place it was more about I suppose starting to overcome quite a tough time in my life um but through something that I really loved and and then the corollary you know of um yeah raising so much money for charity so it was like that was a that was a pretty cool thing and I tend to look I think at things um like that and it was a big sort of team effort um so yeah that's probably yeah probably maybe that's both actually significant achievement and comfort zone stretch because even though I love dancing I think yeah performing is really is really hard um I, I suffer hugely with performance anxiety, but for that experience, actually, I just love, you know, it was, it was the good side of adrenaline. It was actually yeah. just hugely kind of connecting and, and really it's the most present I've ever felt. I can still feel that feeling, um, particularly when we did our group dance, which was to Pirates of the Caribbean and it was a Paso. So it was all, you know, completely not my personality, like very sort of fierce and Latin and, just awesome and just to channel that kind of emotion instead of you know my usual fairly calm-ish steady state was was just brilliant actually thank you for asking that question because I haven't thought about that like that in in a while and it was it was awesome yeah but I think with the combined kind of benefit of really starting to work through what was going on in my mind and my body I think at that time that sounds incredible again you've brought up about having that not so much support but having being part of something being part of something bigger and I think that a lot of the time we feel like we are on our own and it's a self-fulfilling prophecy we feel like that we keep ourselves to ourselves and we don't reach out and connect or we don't become part of something because it is scary Um, and what if we fall what if we fail and I think that this is a really key part of growing our quiet confidence and coming back to who we are is actually being around other people and 
having these joyful moments and those deeper connections. Yeah, yeah, so so true. I, I think as you were saying that, I I realized. I mean, it's it's taken me years to feel like I actually belonged any anywhere. You know, and, and that's that's not because the people around me before weren't um, you know weren't weren't open to that. You know, I think I could have belonged, but because of my internal feelings and state, I just feel like I didn't, and I felt like I wasn't good enough to belong to some of the groups that I was part of and yeah. and I didn't fit in for that reason and and a lot of the time that was my own internal stuff and I think that's been one of the biggest changes actually and I'd, I'd say I'm going to be really honest I'd say that's probably only changed in the last five six years you know when and that tied in with when I left law going through that horrible experience of PTSD and um yeah really having to face my demons and then you know starting with Strictly and I think that really was the start of the journey to just kind of go okay well I want to do things that are really in line with who I am and I need to be true to myself and and be okay with that and it yeah. it's hugely releasing it's just <laughs> I realize all of that stuff that I was feeling when I was younger you can start to let go of that but I think belonging is a huge thing and yeah super hard actually as well if you if you do have a tendency towards anxiety or social anxiety super hard yeah yeah and you're right we have to kind of belong to ourselves before yeah. we find it externally yeah 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 as soon, as soon as you belong to yourself then you start meeting the right people and and you start you know I think you start you're presenting your real self so that the, the people that are coming into your life then are the ones who are gonna kind of meet you there um yeah yeah, which is really, yeah, it's really exciting. It really. is. It's amazing when that happens. <laughs> it is, it is. And it's just the law, law of attraction, really, isn't it? Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. And it's just so, so painful. I know when I, again, speak to some of, some of the young people I work with that the feeling of not belonging as well is so, is so damaging. It's so, yeah, yeah it's just a really tough thing to, to navigate. Yeah, I hope people can kind of reach out more about that and um I feel like that's where my work is taking me sort of to to help people sort of navigate that space if they're that's what they're feeling when they're younger yeah yeah it's so needed it's so common what message would you give to those people who are feeling like they don't belong check in with those times where you feel calm in yourself and when you feel like you are being you and you you're not feeling anxiety because they probably hold the key to who you are and I really think if you know who you are and that's sort of I think what your values are what you like doing what you feel really strongly about what you want to fight for I think that's when you're able to to kind of really find belonging you know if, you, if you're staying true to who you are it, it sounds really cheesy when you say it on a on a podcast like this but but I really think you know authenticity and belief in yourself and and belief that whatever your version of authenticity is will lead you to other people who can can meet you there and that's when you truly belong yes yeah, yeah. it's the key to finding your tribe yeah yeah and so much can change from that once you're there yeah 
I love that. That feels really useful. Because so often we're in a place where we are trying to shape ourselves to fit in so that we can feel belonging. But what you're saying is let's do it the other way around. Let's really find out who we are and then go out and pursue those things that light us up. And then we will find belonging and it will be natural. We don't have to work for it. No. And and I think, you know, it's, it's, it's another sort of one of my just, again, I suppose, questions that I'm really interested in. I think our schooling system goes a long way to taking us away from that because we're, you know, thrust in, all doing the same exams, all using the same modality to be assessed. And I just really question where the value is in that. I, I yeah. really do. You know, like even for people who who can ace exams, it's like generally they're not they're not they're not developing themselves. They're just trying to ace an exam. So there's even if they do well out of that, they're still kind of doing what somebody else wants them to do to get a grade rather than going okay well where where are my innate skills abilities qualities where are the things I want to use what are the subject areas I what are they you know Mm -hmm. it's I think so I think there's something in that um that's quite just quite an interesting conversation and interesting discussion because I don't think it lends itself well to that um and then the other one is, I think a lot of people feel like it's quite a selfish approach. You know, if we focus on ourselves and what we want, and then we excluding everyone else. But as long as that's run in line with celebrating difference and understanding how, you know, different people, different skills, different qualities can work together, I don't think it can be a bad thing. And I don't think it's a selfish thing. Yeah. But it's it's one of it's another one of those things that starts really young. We're sort of funneled into a system. Um, and that takes us away from perhaps pursuing some of those things unless we're lucky unless we've got supportive communities around or you know that one person who champions that um yeah it can be really hard I think to sort of find out who you are you know even if you are high achieving it's sort of you know sometimes that can take you away from from alignment with those things that make you really happy absolutely and I was you know the good little girl with the grades and then I kind of was like, what am I going to do with it? I didn't feel like I could speak up. I didn't feel like I could go out and get a job and be accepted. I thought people will see the real me and reject me. Um, So, you know, without that self-belief and without that confidence, then I couldn't use what I had to, you know, learn anyway. Yeah. 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 It's it's a really, really interesting space. And I mean, I, I think it's really exciting that there are sort of forest schools and beach schools. And mm. um, one of my colleagues was talking about, I think, the development of there's now there's now a GCSE in natural history, which sounds like it's going to be much more kind of engaging with the natural world rather than just sort of reading stuff out of books. And and those kinds of things are exciting because it, it feels like bringing more, you know, you, you're connecting more with the world um, and, and learning that way and learning about you know, what might interest you from that? Because if you connect with the natural world, that could take you into a creative space because of the beauty of nature, or it could take you into a sort of exploring space or, you know, geological space or a scientific, you know, it's, I think there are just different ways of kind of engaging with learning and and different ways of learning, you know, not everyone wants to read books and then write exams. Um, You know, maybe they want to learn something and then act it out or kind of, um, yeah, I, I, but again, you know, it's, I guess the difficulty is, you know, how, how do we, you know, how do we sort of do that for, for everyone? You know, there's so many people and in an ideal, ideal world we would be able to, but 
yeah <laughs> I guess that's a whole other conversation <laughs> I know that you are really connected to the natural world mm-hmm. so tell me how that connection shapes how you feel about yourself oh god I I think I think it's or I think what it is you know I I realize I get so I I um sort of soaked some sunflower seeds the other day and um planted them and I know it's the wrong time of, for any gardeners who are listening I know it's the wrong time of year to do that and all the rest of it um <laughs> but I I was just fascinated by just watching this kind of seed root and then watching it grow and then seeing the differences every day and this is like one tiny thing you know and that that's my experience of the natural world like whatever I see in it I am in or of it and it sort of asks for nothing you know these cycles of things happen this and, and it teaches me about myself so even even something really simple or basic like looking after house plants you realize how much water they need how much cha- how much they change each day you know if it's a really hot day they kind of wither and die and you need to give them extra care but that applies to people as well you know we need to be looking after ourselves and be be as aware of that kind of thing um yeah. you know in ourselves so it's it, it's just taking we're not even taking I feel like I learn from from nature like because we are nature like humans are nature you know we're, we're no more special um than any other species on the planet like I've just read a great great sort of neuroscience book and it's written by Lisa Feldman Barrett and she she sort of makes that statement like we're no we're no different we we, we just we have a different way of doing things maybe or a slightly different brain but ultimately we're the same and I think yeah, just being really connected to the natural world reminds me of that. And I love just, as I say, going out, I live near some some meadows uh, in Oxford and just walking there every day. And, you know, some people might say, well, don't you get bored of that? And I'm like, well, no, because it's different every day. It's the same space, but there's something different. You go at a different time of day, you see different things. I've been going more in the evening lately and I've seen you know, there's roe deer and foxes and all sorts of different birds. And for me, that just feels like a treat and it costs nothing. It, you take away nothing by looking at it. It's taking yes. away nothing from you. And I just, I don't know. I just think like the closer we are to nature, the better we can be as humans um, because it connects us again with, you know, fundamentally who we are, you know, it's quite grounding. And I was saying to somebody the other day, you know, like there's all been all this stuff about Branson and Jeff Bezos going up to space. And I'm like, well, I, I was actually more in awe of my little sunflower seeds than that because, because this sort of like natural cycle of something growing is constantly giving back and it's it's accepting of its kind of life cycle and there's no ego involved. And again, I, that might sound a little bit woo-woo or out there, but I genuinely mean it. I was like, I, yeah. I am more in, I just think that's more, fascinating and more exciting and I think if we move away from that and and only get excited by um kind of growth economic growth and um you know power and money and profit Mm. I I just think there's an end point to that and it's not going to end very well for anyone whereas yeah if we're more accepting of yeah or just humbled by by that kind of natural process yeah I don't know for me that just makes sense like that makes so much sense um I understand other people might listen to this and be like oh god she's gone <laughs> off the wall but yeah yeah so it gives me a sense of wonder and awe every day even in something that's really small I love that I love that and yeah I agree the more connected we are with nature the more connected we are to ourselves and with other people I think I think you, yeah. you can look out at sea and realize yes I'm this like tiny 
pinprick on the world but actually so is everybody else and together we can achieve so much um yeah and and moving away from that I think that it feels isolating it feels isolating to be that more focused in on ego and and money and achievement in that light um yeah there's something about coming back to that connection first yeah I yeah there certainly is for me and I I just I just feel like there's so much simplicity in that and I I could talk yeah I could talk about that forever (laughs) because it is it's like a genuine love you know when you just realize like how deeply ingrained something is in you um yeah and I couldn't live without it I actually moved to where I moved so I could be next to the river and next to the meadows and you know so I could sort of be in them every day and and you know me I think like the sea is my first love and it always will be but um you know work and everything else um sort of keeps me here for now and but I think just being by you know your own little chunk of nature that works for you like I think it's yeah it's just constantly it's like life-giving with yeah but you're not taking anything away absolutely Um, yeah and I think that's that's really nice oh thank you for sharing that Lara So I'm wondering what would you say to your younger self if you could send a message back? God, I mean, to my younger self, I, I, yeah, I just wish I said like, just be you, it will all be okay. Like just, it's really straightforward. I don't know if my younger self would have listened to it, but that, that's what I needed to hear. Like, just, just be okay with being you. Like, it's fine. It's fine. It will all be fine. Mm, Some much needed reassurance there. I'm sure we could all use a little bit more of that. So my final question for you, Lara, is what is inspiring you right now? Oh, God, the Olympics are inspiring me. It's like, I just, I just it brings up so much emotion, you know, it's like, and, and it allows us to feel like if you have that connection and it's all the stories, like, and obviously I'm a swimmer, so I really love the swimming. And, you know, there's a guy who's in lane eight from Tunisia, like no one was even looking at him and he, he won can't remember what event it was god I only saw it the other day but anyway from nowhere kind of won this event he's 18 like it's one of the stories of the games and I just find so much inspiration from that um uh, and I think just people having you know Simone Biles saying what she said you know people um being brave enough to to kind of say what they need I think that that inspires me you know and yeah. I think particularly um sort of young women when they're doing it as well because I think it's it's often harder for them and I think yeah I that does really inspire me um well there's quite a lot I feel like I'm inspired by a lot of by a lot of things but I'll stop there otherwise I will be wrong (laughs) I've heard athletes talking about how it's supposed to be fun yeah and that is something that's really inspired me recently too yeah yeah and I I think there's there's so much you know when you hear the athletes who often do really well it's they love it they love what they do and I think you've got to you know um you know and they work so hard so bloody hard but you know they love it and and they love that feeling of working hard and remembering that it should be fun we can all learn a lot from that and and you know I think I need to remember that often (laughs) Me too. And if it's if it's <laughs> if it's not fun, sort of ask why and can you make it fun? And if not, then ask yourself why you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and with that, I am going to go and have a fun dance around my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs>
Me too. It's been so lovely chatting with you, Lara. Yeah, you too, Hayley. Always <laughs> a pleasure. Um, yeah, hopefully I didn't go on too much. <laughs> no. <it's laughs> Talking about being a quiet person. <laughs> Before we go, where can people connect with you? So I am on, well, sporadically on Instagram. Um, so they're at lara.hayward. Uh, LinkedIn as well. So if you just search for me, uh, Lara Hayward, I should pop up, I hope. And I do have my own website as well that is um, currently undergoing some updating, but that's just www.larahayward.com. Um, so yeah, any of those three places. Um, if, if people have any questions or they want to get in touch or uh, if anything um, we talked about kind of resonates with them, I would love to hear from you as well. So yeah, do feel free to say hello. Perfect. Thank you. And I will pop all those links on the show notes for this episode. If you've also enjoyed hearing from Lara, make sure that you check out her workshops on reframing quiet as a strength in your career and thriving in the workplace as a quieter person, which you can find available for free at quietconnections.co.uk forward slash webinars. Head over there now for a link to watch on demand for more specific workplace insights for us quieter ones. And Stacey will be back next week with a beautiful episode all about hope. So join us then. In the meantime, do stay connected. <laughs>